Hello, Erica. Happy anniversary, Stephen. Happy anniversary. <laughs> oh, you just got the most adorable big grin on your face. That was great. Like you were surprised. Oh my gosh, look at that. I know. I wasn't sure if you were going to mention it or not. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Why not indeed? It's This isn't our wedding anniversary because our wedding anniversary is uh, someday in February. Yep. Accidentally. Mm-hmm. 14th. Or as we knew it, uh, the Thursday before Gallifrey mm-hmm. in 2013, when we knew we were going to be free. So we set our wedding date then. Yeah, exactly. It just happened to be the day before the convention. Yeah. So why do we celebrate this weekend, sort of March 2nd, March 3rd? Why do we celebrate that as our anniversary? Because that is the day three years ago that I landed in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, landed as in the, that's the, the term used for immigrants arriving in Canada. Yeah. I dragged you across the border mm-hmm. in Sweetgrass, Montana slash Coots, Alberta, mm-hmm. uh, and you signed some papers and stuff, and then you were here. And well, so, and and then six hours later, I was here because we're six hours north of the border. That was a long day, yeah. very long day. And the fun thing is that you and your mom, because your mom drove you, or you drove your mom, mm-hmm. uh, all the way from Wisconsin to Montana where I drove down to meet you but the whole time you and your mom were listening to Doctor Who audios weren't you That's right yep that was that was the bulk of uh, of what we listened to on that trip mm-hmm. Like I remember the Dallas Master Plan what other ones did you listen to do you remember Uh we listened to the very first big finish audio ever I don't remember the name of it it had time in it I think I think there was time in the title Oh uh what is, oh, chi- no. What's a, Sirens of Time, yeah. Is, is it Sirens of Time? I think it is. I think so. Yeah, but the one that had like the, Sylvester McCoy and Peter Davison and- Colin Baker? And Colin Baker, I think. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, so we listened to that. Mm-hmm. Mom, Mom had heard that one before. She had also heard Dalek's Master Plan before. Uh, we listened to a couple episodes of- Season two of the Lucy Miller Eighth Doctor audios. Uh huh. But mom didn't like those as much because they felt more like New Who than Classic Who, and she wanted to go back to her f- four episodes. <laughs> I'm just laughing. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, um, and I feel like I feel like there was more, but I don't remember mm-hmm. what else. I mean, that could have been it. We did, you know, a lot of listening to music and and talking and and actually. Because the blizzards were so bad, yes, blizzards, um, quite often we would not have anything on just because mom needed to concentrate. Yeah. Or, or I did, depending on who was driving. But uh, for a large chunk of it, because you're listening to Dallas Master Plan, all 13 episodes, if you include Mission to the Unknown, mm-hmm. is Peter Purvis not uh, narrating it. And so now we're we're back finally watching Doctor Who again since, was it, it was before Gallifrey 1, right? We fin- finally finished off the gunfighters. I think so. I don't know. You you always try to figure out when we last recorded. I don't care. That's I'm lazy. Okay, well that's fine. <laughs> well, Peter Perv- uh-huh. Anybody listening to the podcast can look at their podcast app and see when the last episode was if they care. That's true. Um, well, Peter Purvis was narrating uh tonight's episode. Uh it's 12:35 in the morning to record this. It's amazing. I didn't realize it was this late. Uh episode 1 of the Savages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, this is really exciting because I know very little about this story. I know I know somebody leaves at the end, 
I, I suppose I can spoil it because anybody that's listening to this probably knows that Steven leaves at the end of this one. As far as I know, I could be wrong. You're 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 keeping a poker face there, um, and I know what the original title of this story was supposed to be. Yeah, the original title was "The White Savages," as if to possibly imply that there are other savages. So racist. Thank goodness they did not use that title. Wow. Doctor Who uh, sidestepped a couple of controversies over the years, and this is one of them potential. Although you notice that uh, Jano is played by Freddie Freddie Yeager has sort of darkened skin. I'm not too sure Mm -hmm. what that's meant to represent because they're aliens at this point but i don't know i mean it's it's hard to tell because it's black and white and all we have are a few still images but he looks i mean yeah he looks sort of bronzed up but he almost looks literally bronzed up like he's almost metallic so Mm -hmm. i don't know if he's supposed to i don't know if he's just supposed to be darkened um to make him look more you know just like his skin is more darkly colored or if he's actually supposed to look metallic and shiny in some way because he's an alien but i didn't notice the pictures of flower looking like shiny or the the guards either so i don't know i don't know either um and i genuinely don't know because you know you don't know much about this story i don't i feel like this story the very late hartnell era doesn't quite sink in my memory as much like this and the smugglers which comes uh, a couple episodes later I don't know why they 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 just don't really well they don't exist maybe that's why but I don't I mean I haven't done my customary like bunch of reading about stuff um as I like to do you know I'm going to in between this and the next episode <laughs> of course but I do know that uh, I don't know if you you could tell but there was a hefty amount of location work in the uh, first episode, what? I just, yeah, I noticed the location work because I, re- I remember thinking, this reminds me of a Blake 7 episode or yeah. 3 or 4. Yeah, totally. Probably shot at the same mm-hmm. quarry that they eventually would shoot Blake 7 in about 10 years after this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't, it didn't come to the forefront of my mind. Oh, look at all this location shooting. I was just, I was just sort of noticing that in some of the, the still images. It uh, it's noteworthy because I think the last time I'm trying to think, did they even shoot any location stuff for Dalek's Master Plan? Um, not much. They only shot the stuff on location with Dodo at the end of the massacre. You're telling me that they didn't go to Kimball to uh, to shoot for? Oh my God, that was one of the biggest eye rolls. And now he's just shaking his head back and forth. I'm just proving that I paid attention enough to know, remember the name of the planet. I cannot condone this tomfoolery when we're trying to discuss <laughs> legitimate recording dates of Doctor Who in 1965 and 66. Okay. I thought I could maybe derail you, but nope. No, because I'm stuck on this now. Did they go on location in the Mythmakers? I think they might have for a day, but I don't know if Peter Purvis is on location. I'm trying to basically, the long story short, I'm trying to think of when's the last time that the main cast actually went on location for a Doctor Who shoot. And I think about how much the series has changed because um, the big location shoots like Dalek's Invasion of Earth was at the end of that whole first production block. So they had sort of time to do that. There's, I think they spent like two or three days on location at this. And I don't know if you noticed this, but there was a lot of like a couple quick cuts between location stuff and studio. 
And I feel that this might have been sort of, some parts have been recorded out of sequence. I could be wrong about that. But most of part four of the arc was recorded out of sequence, which is a new thing at the time. So I'm starting, I'm just trying to monitor about how these things are perhaps changing as the years go by. I, I did kind of notice the switching back and forth because... Um, we are we are watching the reconstruction that has the the BBC audio with Peter mm-hmm. Purves narrating, and I, I you know some of the linking narration would be like meanwhile back in the conference chamber or whatever just so which I might not have noticed quite so uh, quite so much if it had just been the episode playing out, but the fact that he's calling my attention to the change of scenery because you need that because if you're just listening to the audio, obviously you need to know that's changed but even watching the telesnaps like you don't necessarily know you've changed rooms if it's just a close-up on somebody one place and then suddenly there's a close-up on somebody elsewhere so mm. so he pointed it out and that was it was helpful but it also made me notice oh yeah they're cross-cutting you know sort of back and forth between two different places kind of like a lot of science fiction novels that i have read over the years you know you get one chapter in one place and then another chapter in another place and another you know game of thrones was was like that only it was like you know every nine chapters you go back to the uh, first one because there's so many characters mm. whereas this is like deliberately written to sort of like cross-cut between you know so that's interesting to to, to see how it's uh, written and written by someone new. Ian Stewart Black is the name of the scriptwriter of this, who uh, I believe had some very revolutionary and sort of leftist ideas at the time, um, as you'll as you'll find later on in the because he writes a couple more stories in Doctor Who, and he was also a confidant of one Patrick McGowan. Ooh. Um, leading up, and so I think I think McGowan I think shared some ideas with him about the prisoner, which was he was probably very much planning in his head, or certainly in the process of making at this point in um, in late 1966. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I recognize the name Ian Stewart Black, and I'm I'm not surprised to find that he was very kind of leftist and maybe liberal. I mean. I can, not knowing a whole lot about the rest of this story, but just knowing that it was supposed to be called The White Savages, mm-hmm. um, I can I can see that that might be somebody's idea of being a revolutionary way to sort of combat racism by turning turning it around and saying, look, here's a story where it's the white people who are the savage, whatever. Anyway, which which is, really has such such racist ideas at the root of it that mm-hmm. it just uh, looking at it from from this day and age it just it's it's bad <laughs> any way you look at it it's it's bad um but it's it's fascinating too in in the historical context i mean this is 6 years after 1960 1960 was a big year for the british empire a lot of former colonies in africa um became independent like nigeria and some other ones so there was the whole, you know, and a lot of people probably growing up probably just, you know, thought of the these people in the colonies as just mm-hmm. savages and stuff. And so there's that that mentality that had been passed on through generations that they were perhaps trying to break down, you know. It's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Boy, how times have changed and yet haven't. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. Is that actually clearing your throat or are you making a point? 
That was both, actually. Okay. It was, I'm killing two birds with one stone. Oh. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the interesting thing that these people on whatever planet they're on, uh, these super smart people, have been monitoring the, tra- the, the traveler, as they call the doctor, all of his adventures throughout... Like, basically watching him on Netflix or something like that. Well, clearly they weren't really watching him on Netflix. It was more like watching him um, on Skip the Dishes uh, or a, an app like that about to, you know, come, uh, that's funny. <laughs> coming to deliver your Indian food. Yeah. Um, that's what we always order. And uh, you're basically just watching a little dot on the map because, you know, they had the star chart and they had a, a line sort of, you know, from here to there to here to there. But they didn't know he was going to have companions with him. So they clearly weren't watching his actual adventures they were just watching the little blip on the map or maybe like you know he sent a a ways in like invitation to them like you know i will be there in roughly you know two years and 45 days right. and you know you can watch my cute adorable little pink thing move around on your star map until we get there <laughs> that's in, that's intriguing maybe we'll find out more i legitimately don't know that's not, that's me not hinting i have no idea i have no memory of many events of this of this story i mean when when they first said that you were expected, I was like, oh, here we go. This is another story where the doctor pretends to be the person that they are expecting, but he's really not. You know, it's like Curse of Peladon all over again, only technically first, because this is first where, you know, he pretends to be the Earth ambassador. Um, but then when they say, no, we don't know your name, but we know that you are the great, you know, the traveler in time and space. I was like, holy buttons. They're actually talking about him. They, they'd know who he is. And then I was just like, wow, this really is an advanced race. I'm just, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of wonder if anyone later in novels or Big Finish or anything have sort of retconned this race into the, into the universe with, you know, Gallifrey. Because Gallifrey doesn't even exist as a concept at this point. No. Um, so who, who I'm just interested in in how this fits in because I feel like it doesn't scan terribly well because they're so fascinated with him, like this one guy. So that makes it seem like he is unique in the universe and his ability to travel through time and space when later on we clearly learn that he's not alone and there's lots and lots of people who can do that. Um, You know, they hadn't, hadn't established that in the canon at this point. So, I mean, in order to properly retcon it you have to make it so that like you know the doctor's time capsule wasn't properly shielded so these people were able to determine you know who he was and where he was and and that's why all of the other time lords were perfectly hidden from these folks or you know something like that basically mm-hmm. use encrypted wi-fi don't use open <laughs> wi-fi doctor because people will just sort of leech onto your signals and find out where you're going Whereas the master and the Ronnie and the and the meddling monk perhaps used actual passwords, and so they were able to protect their Wi-Fi and passwords. Wow, the first doctor was was really kind of just like a, a a techno noob is basically like what he was. Yeah. Well, look at him. <laughs> you know, and the way he like sort of fiddles around with the th- I mean he probably doesn't he, there is probably somewhere buried in the TARDIS a VCR with a flashing <laughs> 12 o'clock has no idea how to set it oh my goodness actually it's probably got a piece of duct tape over it because <laughs> that's what so, you do so he can slide that's put a thing over 
Yep. Yep. Or actually, electrical tape works best because then it's if your VCR is black and you put black electrical tape over it, you can't even tell that it was there. You speak as someone with experience. I'm not. I'm. I, it, this was not me. Believe me, I I was the one setting the VCR clock every time the power went out, which happened a lot. Uh, no, but I did know somebody who did that. Yep. Yeah, we're we're of the uh, VCR clock generation, you and I, <laughs> so we, we we understand the pitfalls of such things. Do we even need to explain what a VCR is? Okay, children, we used to have to uh, get our TV shows from these big clunky cassette tapes. Yeah. Now, a cassette tape is see, this is like a rabbit hole. We're not going down. No, no we can't do that. Uh, anything else on episode one of the savages apart from the fact that it's called episode one of the savages um yeah that was pretty exciting oh the other thing was um i think i said it out loud when we were watching it when uh they find out that the doctor's got friends along and they say well we were only expecting the doctor um so he has our respect or whatever but you you can have our gifts and um peter purvis steven gets gets a knife (laughs) And Dodo gets a mirror, a jeweled mirror. <laughs> it just was like, it's a freaking happy meal all over again. You get the girl toy and the boy toy. And you don't get to choose. You just get handed whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of Dodo, I want to say that except for her, I don't know, weirdness at the beginning, again, talking to Steven about, are you a man or aren't you or whatever? And you don't have to do what the doctor says all the time. She's so weird, Dodo. But... Later on, oh, Stephen was really frustrating me because at the beginning, at the beginning, he doesn't believe her that there is somebody standing on the hill behind her. You know, that's fine. Dodo is weird. Mm-hmm. So maybe not believing her every time has become <laughs> self-preservation or something. But then again, later in the same episode, she she sees somebody. Um, oh, the prisoner. Not the prisoner from Patrick McGowan. <laughs> But the other prisoner, mm-hmm. the the girl whose name I have have forgotten now, Nanina. Nanina, yes, that's a neat name. Yeah. Um, and she says, "Oh yeah, I saw the guard guy leading this leading this prisoner in." And Stephen just flat out doesn't believe her. Like, dude, you almost got stabbed with a spear because you didn't believe her in the first place. And suddenly, like he, this is this is him carrying the stupid ball again. And it it really kind of annoys me and bothers me. But it's weird though, because it's like, it's like Dodo took the stupid ball, which she's often holding, and she handed it off to Steven, which meant he took all the stupid in this episode. And she then was left with none of it because then she gets cagey and figures out how to open the door and starts sneaking around and stuff. And I was like, when did Dodo get so sharp and so smart? It just, it was very out of character, I thought, for both of them. So I'm interested to see what happens if Steven just gets to carry the stupid ball all the way through this story and and Dodo gets to be smart or or what's going to happen. So I think that's kind of neat. It's interesting, isn't it, about how sometimes characters change because now we're in a new era, you know, full on. Innes Lloyd is producer, Jerry Davis is script editor, taking over from John Wiles and uh, Donald Tosh, respectively. So the people who created these characters are no longer there. And so these new people are sort of, you know, mm-hmm. casting them in their own light. And perhaps they, they sort of change a little bit. Hmm, that could be why, Mr. Doyleist over here. I am such a Doyleist. Uh, did you notice how great the audio sounded, by the way? I did, actually. I was I was worried a little bit at first because we're not reading a script along with this one. And there are not captions. Um 
the uh, on the video. Mm-hmm. So I was like, uh oh, am I going to be able to understand what all these words are? And I did. Starting with, I think the gunfighters, which we didn't have to worry about because it exists. I think the guy who, um, oh no, no, it was episode eight. It was episode eight of uh, Dog's Master Plan. Uh, I think it was Graham Strong who recorded this stuff, and from here on, he plugs in directly to the TV to record the auto as opposed to putting a, a microphone up <laughs> they risk risking electrocution so that we 50 years later can enjoy the the benefits also because the audio is, is from the official bbc release it's probably been cleaned up by mark Harris as well so it sounds really good um Innes lloyd is back as is is here as producer now and it seems like one of the first things that he does is hires back John Kira to do the telesnaps because John Wiles wasn't commissioning him for this. So that's why the images that you see, every single image of this, is an actual representation of what was on screen. Apart from a couple, there was two or three promotional shots, promo shots that were in there. But telesnaps are back from here on in up until the last story, I think. The space pirates, there are no, there are no telesnaps because John Kira fell ill and died. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he, he became ill. But um, uh, but we can enjoy them and his work for now because John Kira's work at chronicling the visual imagery of Doctor Who, while very kind of like done for reasons to sort of show an actor on his resume what things he was in. It's now like for many many parts of Doctor Who, the only visual representation of those episodes. Funny how stuff like that works out. Yeah. Doctor Who, man. All sorts of stuff like that. It's so neat. There are so many like tiny little rabbit holes in the history of Doctor Who that you can just go down and learn. The The reason that we have X today is because of A, B, and C, you know, a 50-some years ago. And because all of that existed... You and I are married here together <laughs> in in well Calgary today. Uh, yeah, this is this is a from a hotel room episode. Yep, we are lying on the bed. We watched on. We forgot to bring our cord to plug the computer into the TV, so we watched on the laptop propped on a pillow in the middle of the king sized bed. Yes, because mm-hmm. the best way to watch a, uh, a telesnap reconstruction is on a forty two inch um, HD TV. <laughs> okay. It's true form, so <laughs> I feel okay with this. You make a good point. Fair enough. Fair enough. But anyway, as I was saying, because of all of that stuff that happened and all of these these things that we're watching, we are here now together in Canada. It's pretty cool. It's pretty neat, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you know where Sydney Newman is from? Sydney Newman's from Canada. Yeah. And you know what show he was instrumental in? Not creating, running. Not Doctor Who, right? No, in Canada. Yeah, he helped um, produce the first um, Hockey Night in Canada broadcasts in the 1950s. He did. And tonight we went to a hockey game in Canada. We did. (laughs) Yep. It all comes together. Everything relates back to Doctor Who. Thanks, Sidney Newman. Thanks, Sidney Newman. Uh, And a a special mention to our friend Graham Burke, who uh, helped write a book about Sidney Newman, which was out in September. You can pre-order it on Amazon now. That's a free plug for you, Graham, Mm -hmm. if you even listen. Oh, that's right. I didn't realize it was ready for pre-order already. He he posted a thing today. Oh. 
uh, on Twitter that said, yeah, oh my God, it's up. So like September 7th of this calendar year is when it's uh, going to be ready, which means you have to write it, I think, but you might be done. But mm-hmm. Wow, that's exciting. I have, I have not been on Twitter today, so yeah. I totally missed that. Yay, I'm, this is news to me too. You're breaking the news. Woo-hoo. Wow, yeah, it's called Head of Drama. I think it's uh, Sidney Newman's memoir as um, sort of mashed, mashed about by Graham Burke. Something like that. Cool. And Graham even has an article on on Sydney Newman, the next Doctor Who magazine as well, which comes out this Thursday. Yes, I did see the cover for that. Pretty mm-hmm. exciting. All right. Is that it now? Uh, we're, we're getting close to the uh, duration of the actual episode that we're talking about, even though we didn't really talk about the, the episode the entire time. But we'll talk mm-hmm. about more about this in the next episode, which will happen at some point. In the future. The future. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye.